You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, creating generational wealth and having necessary money conversations with Dwayne and Taylor Davis. T-minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Journey to Launch podcast. I am excited, as always, to have you here with me in this rocket. We are always taking off, always somewhere to go, and so much to learn. And this week, I'm continuing the conversation. So last week, I had Cameron on the show who talked about how to have essential money conversations with your parents, and hope you got a lot of good tips from that. This week, I'm actually bringing on a father and daughter duo. They team together because they're very passionate about talking about money, and I'll talk about them a bit more. But before I do, just want to make sure you know that you're listening to episode 118. So episode 118 and if you want any of the episode show notes. So if you listen to something, you're like, oh, I need to know more or I, I want to like find out what this article was that they mentioned, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 118 or wherever you're listening, you should be able to see the link right now, wherever you're listening, there should be like a detail section. So again, journeytolaunch.com slash episode 118. Now a little bit more about Dwayne and Taylor. They are a father and daughter duo and Taylor is a daughter. She works in the financial services industry, and she is very passionate about talking about financial literacy and how to encourage parents to talk to their kids about money. And she also, I mean, she was raised by Dwayne Davis, her father, who has been in the financial services industry for over 34 years and has experience in wealth management. And you're going to hear about his extensive history in talking about money how he's been trying to basically have these conversations, especially in the black community about building wealth. And so I'm super excited to have them both on because I really dig deep with them and talk about how we intergenerationally, right? So how can we connect and have these money conversations when our goals may be a little bit different, our starting points, especially if you're older or younger, our motivations are gonna be different. And so as a family, how are you talking about money with each other And how as a generation and passing generational wealth, like from one generation to another, how that can happen. So I really think you're going to love this episode. And let's just hop right into it. Hey, journeyers, I'm excited to have this conversation. When I started looking into you guys' history, (laughs) I was super impressed. I was like, oh, Dwayne, you've been in this game. And so to kind of just give a background, I'm talking to Dwayne and Taylor Davis of Davis Generational Wealth. And I was truly intrigued by your story, Dwayne and Taylor, how you are on a mission to help us, people of color, Black people, and families talk about money and create real wealth. And so I'm excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah. We're excited to be here. Very excited. Thank you. So one of the things I did want to talk about is kind of to go in the background of kind of, Dwayne, how you got started in the financial services industry, because that lays the foundation of how... You raised Taylor. Just to give a quick background, let's let me know how you got started. And then Taylor, you can kind of jump in how your dad kind of brought you along this journey with him. Yeah, the first thing I would say is that I was not raised around money. 
We didn't talk about money at, at the kitchen table. But I remember in high school, went to see my counselor and they had it wasn't a computer back then in the olden days. <laughs> it was probably some, some file card system. I don't know. But you could flip through it and it would give you different careers and income. And so to me, I was I've always been fascinated with money and with wealth. So initially I picked something. Actually, I wanted to be a psychiatrist because the psychiatrist card was one of the highest. <laughs> Didn't know anything about it, but that's what I wanted to do, right? Well, as, as time went on, what I realized is that since I had that interest, I wanted to do something where I could work with people who had money so that then I could learn, one, how did they get it? And two, once they got it, what did they do with it? And so that's the, the short answer to how I moved towards the financial industry. It's interesting because I I picked my career based on that too. When I was looking at what should I do, I was like, okay, I want to earn money. So, oh, business management, I had no clue. And I was just like, well, it sounds like I'd make money doing that. But that was mostly my motivation was to learn about money and how to handle it. So right. I said this in the, in the official intro, but I don't think I specifically said it just now when I kind of teed you guys up, but you are a father and daughter duo. And you, Dwayne, as you elevated yourself and you talk about a little bit in your story as we go, your career in financial services, you started your family and then, um, you know, you came up in a family now that talked about money. So Dwayne, you didn't come up with a family that talked about money, but Taylor, you did. And so I definitely want to talk about like what those conversations look like for people who now have the awareness, right? And have a family of their own, they can start talking about this. But why did you guys come together now, right? So you guys, Dwayne, you have your own career. Taylor, you're um, younger, but like, why did you choose to come together and start your company together to talk about this? I think kind of like what you touched on, it's important for us as minorities, as, as African-Americans to speak about money, uh, not only amongst ourselves, but in our community and our families. And so we just kind of noticed that the way that we approached money in our family was different from the ways other families do or do not talk about money. And we really wanted to come together and kind of spark that conversation um, amongst our community. And that's where Generational Wealth Education Initiative, that's the full name, that's where that came from. And we just had a great time going and talking to folks about their money and uh, helping folks think about how they can talk to their families and their friends and their communities about you know, their financial journeys is, as well. Yeah. And, and it actually, a lot of it started in college, right? Yeah. Having friends around you and you were thinking everybody grew up this way Yeah, because you didn't know any different. And, and so Taylor really sparked this uh, was her interest in, I think, in helping her generation as well. So can we talk about like the actual lessons? Because what did that look like growing up? I know, Dwayne, like I definitely, because, you know, when you sent me your website and I was looking at like you had clippings from newspapers, like you opened up at the stock market with um, Taylor for something. Right. Yeah, we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> and it started with, so that that picture came from uh, my parents and my mom and my dad. They kind of did this first. They started the Coalition of Black Investors in like the late 90s, yep. 99s and the 2000s, as the song says. Mm -hmm. um, and so that picture was actually from when 
we went and opened the NASDAQ. I believe it was for, they were recognizing black Kobe. investors that day. Right. Yeah. Black, we started a sort of a black investors month to just get folks excited about saving and investing. And they were recognizing us for that. Yeah. So we yeah. opened the NASDAQ and that was a really great experience. And part of my upbringing that I remember the most because I got to skip school all the time <laughs> was going around <laughs> to <laughs> the different Kobe conferences, California, Milwaukee, like going literally around Atlanta, the country. New York, all over the country. I would get to see um, my mom and dad speak to a huge room filled with people that looked like us about investing, about saving, about talking to their families about this topic. And so when I got older, I kind of wanted to continue it. And it's not my parents anymore. Now it's a father-daughter kind of intergenerational conversation and how we've been able to talk about money and how that's influenced my upbringing and then how we can share that with other families too. So Dwayne, starting Kobe, how did that come about? What prompted that? So I've been a financial advisor on 37 years and I noticed a couple of things. One, a lot of the folks, 98 percent, 90, I mean, literally of the people that I was helping didn't look like me. And a number of the times when folks that looked like me sat down with me, there was two things that base of knowledge wasn't there many times. And, and I think this is true for us just in general. In my business, you have to ask a lot of questions and you need honest answers. And so what would start to happen is I'm going through this process because your recommendations are based on someone's situation. So you ask a question and they give you an answer and you come back and say, well, based on what you told me, here's what you ought to do. And then whenever I'd hear, well, that meant they didn't quite tell me the whole story. Well, I didn't tell you now, you know, we got a little debt that we got to deal with or, well, I didn't tell you that we've got to help our son's brother. I mean, you know, it's all these kinds of paths that you start to go down. And so in our business, um, just to, to cut to the chase as advisors, time is money. And so what I started realizing was, wow, I can't save, I can't make a change one person at a time. And so I, I've always said, and I, I've been doing it all my life, I'll go speak. You ask me to speak. If I can be there, I'll be there. If it's 10 people, 20 people, 200, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I'll go talk talk to the group. And so that's kind of how it came out. Just purely nonprofit. It was all about trying to help educate our community uh, and, and to get our community to be able to sit down in a room and look at people that look like them that are in the industry. Because a lot of the investment conferences, even as a professional that I would go to or, or individuals would go to, uh, most of the folks there would be white. The majority of that of the folks would also be white males. And so the comfort level is different. If you're, uh, you know, only five of 150 people, uh, and you're scattered around, it just feels different. But what we wanted to create, and we talked about this, was a family environment. So when we do these conferences around the country, Taylor and Dwayne, her younger brother, would come. My mother would come. 
My mother-in-law would be there. They would be on the desk at the front greeting people. You know, grandmas were there greeting people. The kids would sometimes, you know, it might be three, four hundred people in the room. And they come on their skates down the middle of the aisle and they get on the podium with us because we really did want to say that this is family. And when you're in here, you ask any questions and, and the speakers were, were black money managers, uh, black analysts, right? Um, black folk that were on uh, the, the, the boards of different public companies. Uh, Deborah Lee spoke at our, one of our conferences with BET. Uh, Reverend Jackson spoke. We had folks from the Federal Reserve. So again, just putting our folks in front of professionals in the industry. And, and as you can probably tell just from, it, it just was a wonderful experience to sort of see. And then for folks to get together and see talking about money, you aren't alone. Because a lot of these folks would say that they felt like, you know, in their community or in their family, they were the only one. But to get in a room with other people who think like you, but I better shut up because no. I'll, well, I'll talk I'm- on, on and on. I'm so impressed because, like, I don't what about what time frame and years did this go on for? Uh, late '90s to early 2000s. It's interesting because um, now we're in the age of the internet, personal finance. Like, you know, I'm one of those people. Like, I have my own personal finance brand and company. But you were doing this way before the internet, way before social media, and you created something that seemingly like was very impactful. That I know people who are doing the things I'm doing, like would want to do, but I can't imagine doing it without like the internet. Like you had to really, I'm just wondering how you organized all that and brought people together to really know what it was. Right. It was a full-time job. I remember my mom running it and we had a small, it was like a a small team that ran it full time. And to your point, it was a lot of phone calls, like snail mail, as we would think now. Was it email? No, no. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was email, but it was sort of not just getting off had, the ground, right? Yeah. It was really snail mail. So it was a lot of, yeah. yeah. So to your point, it's um, looking back, especially now and thinking about the amount of people we were able to reach and bring out to each mm-hmm. conference in each city, that is impressive. Radio, uh, oh, newspaper. Yeah. Uh, we worked with the black newspapers and like the Tom Joyner Morning Show was a big supporter and that got the message out. So it was old, it was old school. Yeah, you could teach us some things. You need to come teach this generation some things. <laughs> yeah. We can share together and then multiply. So is it still around now or what happened to that group? No, no. We had, to me, people talk about the, the crash of 08. As an advisor, probably the toughest crash I I've been through was 2000, 2001, 2002, because you had three straight negative years for the S&P. So after that point, a lot of the funding dried up because it just was a tough time for the market. Folks weren't spending the money, you know, putting it into to education like we were doing. Because, again, it's one thing when the market goes down for six months or eight months. You're talking 36 months three straight negative years. And quite honestly, that's what created the next bubble that was 2008. So what folks did, everybody came out of stocks and started buying real estate because they said, oh, you know, real estate, it's always going to be there. You can touch it. You can go see it. You know, it's not this stock stuff. And so everybody started doing real estate. 
And what everything kind of rolls around to the same thing, if too much money starts chasing one thing, it bids the price too high. And that's how you create a bubble, right? And recently you've seen it with Bitcoin. I mean, it just happens all the time in the markets. And so, but that was the worst one. So our, our funding dried up. Yeah. Well, it's still definitely needed. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure there are organizations now that are carrying the torch and doing like, you know, some of that work. So that's great. But Taylor, like growing up in that environment. So you, you chose to follow your dad's footsteps in terms of being in the financial services, right? Industry. Yep. So in terms of deciding to study business and it's fun for of us now, I wanted to be a ballerina. I wanted to dance. And my mom was like, no, you probably can't make a bunch of money being a dancer, right? And I was like, oh, um, okay, so let me do something else. So I uh, decided to study, go to undergrad and study business. Um, I went to Howard, so I graduated from School of Business at Howard. And I knew I wanted to go into financial services because me, unlike, you know, uh, some people, I actually like the structure of corporate America, to be honest. So I wanted to go into financial services. I've actually been an HR consultant for the past four years. So not directly with uh, doing wealth management, but having this generational wealth as an outlet. Um, And now I'm going back to get my MBA and post-graduation, I will fully do a career pivot into um, wealth management. So I'm excited to kind of use those skills of, you know, financial education knowledge that I've had, you know, all of my life and that I'm doing now um, and the people skills from HR to be able to be a, a quality financial advisor. Right. When it comes to now discussing money, you grew up in a household that discussed money. You were taught these things. What were, so you mentioned that in college, you saw your friends, your for doing things differently than you thought everyone did things kind of the way you did or was taught some of the things you taught you were taught. What were some of those things? Because then I want to lead into kind of like now how, if you were raised without talking about money, how do you pivot and kind of change that in your own household? One of the biggest, one of the biggest topics for us in undergrad were, for example, student loans and how we are going to pay for college. And I think it just gave me more of a perspective on the way families discuss money the way, you know, families discuss building credit and paying bills and budgeting and saving and understanding student loans, understanding the difference between, you know, grants and scholarships. And so that was kind of the genesis, those kind of typical, I would think, um, college conversations that kind of go on in the dorms, like what loans do you have? What scholarship did you get? What grants did you get? (laughs) And kind of taking that, also coupling that with being in the school of business and realizing there is a gap and there's some level of financial education that could be done there. And then just thinking about how we could share what we were learning about finances and within the school of business, you know, with our families. And a lot of times it's more so, especially at this age, coaching up. I come from a family where, you know, my dad's a financial advisor, so he's aware, but for family, for students or for you know, millennials that don't come from families like that, how can we coach up to our parents, to our grandparents, talk about things like, you know, mom, dad, do you have a 401k account? Do you have a Roth account? Did you have a 529 college savings plan for me? Thinking about younger siblings, like, should we start one for our our younger siblings? Should we now think about, you know, nieces, nephews, grandkids, like thinking about that as a family and, you know, not being so shy about, or not shy necessarily, but not 
coming out of a place where it's seen as kind of taboo to talk about money, especially within your own family. And I think, especially now in media, it's making that a little bit easier with Jay-Z and Beyonce, for example. I'm sure, you know, there are others, but I, you know, I'm beehive. Um, <laughs> they're talking about, you know, generational wealth and the importance of talking about money with your families and exposing, you know, your kids, your grandkids, your grandparents, everyone to that conversation. I love the concept of coaching up because there is a skill and approach that you have to take with it. Um, especially I feel like in the black family, um, where maybe it's not talked about and there's a level of respect. I mean, all doesn't matter like what color you are, you know, level of respect for your parents or grandparents. Right. But I feel like because a lot of us were not like taught about this and it's taboo and it can be a little embarrassing or kind of like who are you telling me what to do now? That kind of thing is to be able to approach it in a way where they're receptive to advice and to you helping. Um, especially now, I feel like our generation, you know, I'm older than you, Taylor, but where we're growing up in a way in which now we know, like we know better, we know um, a lot more than probably our parents know. So now it's time to like help them. What are some like tips or examples of approaching like the conversation? So you know right now that your mom or grandma, they're not probably, you actually don't even know what their finances are like, but you can assume that it's not on the right track. What's like the best way to approach them to have a conversation about it? I think maybe one of the ways just to open the door would be just starting the conversation. So saying, what did you learn about money growing up? Because in the Black community, we do kind of have these, <laughs> oh, I don't want to say, sayings. these sayings. Yes, perfect. Exactly. These sayings um, and these practices that we do. So like putting the money under the mattress or hold, having your money somewhere that we can hold it, like not trusting banks, not trusting the financial institutions, and just opening the conversation that way and understanding whether it's your parents' generations or your grandparents' generation, what do they think about money? What is their current mindset around money? And then being able to use that to just pivot into, well, you know, like they are different, even if it's going to the bank together or pivot into, you know, you don't have to ha have your money in the wall. Like even, what is that, Tyler? There's some Tyler Perry movie where they like, find money in the wall. Like literally the granddad put all his money in the wall and just being able to have that conversation to where, whether it's a black owned bank or one of the major, you know, financial institutions, like, you know, let's just go and open up a bank account. And here's a way that you can look at this on your phone or online, because there are other conversations about technology that really honestly kind of also make their way into this money conversation but just seeing where they are now and opening that door. If you're obviously in, in this conversation, you're younger. And so you almost can ask them for advice. Mm -hmm. What would you do different? You know, I'm just getting started. Mom, dad, grandmom, granddad, aunt, uncle. And I'm really just talking to people and finding out, you know, what things that you do financially or wherever you want to carry it that I should think about. And are there any things that I shouldn't do? So and people, I think our family always wants the best for us. So typically they're going to tell you, oh, you know, that one thing we did we shouldn't have done was this. And then once that door is opened, it allows you to just have some conversations. Yep. Sometimes people are so gun ho that it can be overbearing. And so I think you have to go at their pace. Yep. 
And and if, if they're slowing down a little bit, just slow down and come back the next time the family gets together. You don't have to get it all out at one Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, just. Yeah. And kind of use that's a great point. We kind of use different holidays and family gatherings and kind of put one topic of conversation on the table and just see where it goes from there. And sometimes it's my uncle that will just say, I, I read about buying foreclosed properties and, you know, paying off the property tax and doing that type of thing. And that'll just pivot us into a conversation about real estate. Or sometimes it'll mm-hmm. be someone else like, oh, Taylor, do you contribute to your 401k? And that'll open the conversation about retirement savings for everybody that's kind of around the table. Just understanding where the conversation goes, because sometimes it's just opening a bank account. Maybe the next step is talking about savings, a, a spending plan, and really just opening the door and seeing kind of where that conversation can lead and steering it um, over time. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, a lot of this, too, like you mentioned, like the distrust of the financial institutions and especially for the older generations who have seen, I mean, the systematic things going on in oppression. And but for the older generations who lived through and their parents and grandparents like lived through like slavery in certain times where like it really leaves a psychological impact that I think some people don't recognize for like the, for our parents and grandparents. So they don't trust like, you know, even like online high yield savings accounts. It's just like that. Yes, the rate is better, but they can't fathom. Like, what do you mean? It's like online. Like I can't go into the bank. Like you mean it's in a cloud. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's in a cloud. Like it's there, but you know, and so, and even in investing. So part of that is to say, you know, they don't have to do everything like the most optimal way. Right. But there are probably ways in which they can improve. So if a high yield savings account is not something they're comfortable with, that's fine. But it's also just, you know, being patient and meeting them where they are with the conversations. Also, like you said, the conversation needs to at least be had. And, you you know, you start somewhere. Taylor, it's funny because you mentioned um, Beyonce and Jay-Z and then like, you know, your dad laughed. And it's like funny because like, you know, for us, like it's I love when artists and, you know, people in the culture reference like and talk about money and building wealth because, you know, it's. Makes it cool. So you see the other side of, okay, what it looks like. Like, what are the tangible results? Like, the everyday person can, um, you know, achieve. And, but I do like believe we have a different, it's like generations have different, like, inspirations and ways in which content and information resonates, right? With us. So, you know, I guess with that, is there like a dance and Dwayne and, or Taylor, you can like both answer this. Is there an approach or a way in which, Cause you know, you're talking this, you're talking about the same thing, but you're talking about it in different ways or your, your motivations are different, um, based on your culture and like the age that you grew up in kind of thing. Yes. I think for my generation, I definitely saw a peak in interest in talking about investing specifically having multiple streams of income once different artists and, and different influencers kind of started talking about it themselves. I definitely try when I'm speaking to millennials, maybe some Gen X, Gen Z, about investing, about spending plans, about what the first steps are. I definitely reference pop culture, who's doing it, even talking about um, different trends. And one of the examples that really tends to resonate is about LVMH. So Rihanna just, you know, launched her new line, but just talking about buying bottles of Moet buying bottles of Hennessy, buying Louis Vuitton bags and accessories, and thinking about the cost of those things. Specifically, Louis Vuitton bags is what I go to. Like 
here's this $2,000 bag, but did you know that LVMH is actually a publicly traded company and that you could buy a share of LVMH and be a quote unquote owner or have equity in this business that sells these bags for only like 260, it trades around $260. So you can say, yeah, this is a, this is a great bag for $2,000 or I could buy 10 shares of the company for 260 each. So uh, I definitely use those types of motivators, those types of examples to talk to my generation about saving and investing and making sure that they understand that there, there are day to day lifestyle financial changes to make first before jumping into the things that are more fun to talk about, the things that are more mm-hmm. trendy, like private equity, real estate, even, you know, stock, you know, equity investing. So I, I know that's definitely a, a motivator and, um, an approach that I take that. What do you think about? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the underlying concepts are always going to be the same, right? It's just the face changes. For me, I went to Morehouse, uh, graduated back in 81. And so my fraternity brothers and I, we started an investment club when we graduated. And it has kept us, you know, I guess we disbanded some years ago, but it kept us together because we come back from home. Homecoming was our annual meeting. And so as tired as we were on a Sunday, <laughs> we'd get up and we'd go have our meeting. So that conversation started right there. And we used some of that money to help fund some of our uh, fraternity brothers that had business ideas. And so that pooling of resources, that learning, you know, there were bumps and all those things. But that's the key. That's how you learn about money and how to have conversations and what you need to do. Right. OK, we're friends, but we still need to do- document this properly. Uh, we still need to have two separate sets of attorneys review documents. So it's all those kinds of things. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh- and another, I'll, I'll just point out one other thing. I think, and when we're getting questions, um, from my perspective, is definitely like, how do I start to build? And it's more so about the individual. And then when I notice questions from maybe like the baby boomer generation, it's also about talking about the next generation that's coming up after them. Like, how can I set them up for success? So that was one of the things that I think that my dad <laughs> answers primarily was just talking to folks um, in his generation about even like parent care and thinking about how to plan for parent care, how to plan for your children going into college or just graduating from college um, and having that perspective as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. And so one of the things that happens a lot for us as a community is like this black tax as individuals. Sometimes we're the first ones to become the high income earners or to get the degree and not always, right? Like Taylor, that wasn't your situation, but oftentimes we do feel a level of responsibility to our extended family, like outside of even our own, like, you know, immediate like kids and like husband or wife. And so that sometimes limits maybe how aggressive we can get with paying off debt and saving and investing because we have all these other responsibilities. So for someone who's like going through that. So for a professional who's like doing well, but also has this, this feels this responsibility and has a responsibility, like how does one manage that and still like make sure they put the oxygen mask on themselves first while helping if they need to other people, like what, how does this one navigate that as 
someone who's going through it? Yeah, I would say, you know, as an advisor, what you would tell someone is you said it. The first thing you have to do is you have to budget and you have to pay yourself first. And then you've got to make sure that all your other needs are taken care of. And you need to be able to feel comfortable. And this is tough, but we're talking about this, having that conversation with whoever's asking for something to say, I've got other commitments. I know because it looks like it's a lot of money, but it can it can be a small amount of money very quickly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to, to someone else, they think you just it's endless. And, and so to just say, you know, I, I've got to spend this much on this, this much on that, this much on this, you know, and just be honest and say, well, here's what I can help. With. This, this is what I can do. When folks come to me asking for a loan, what I learned early on is it's better to give them what you can give them. And if they pay you back, that's great. If they don't, it was what you were going to give them anyway, which is usually less than what the, the, the request the loan amount was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would echo the same thing. Just making sure that you have your own plan and your own budget and your financial picture that that comes first. The other thing I would say is that especially Again, going back to kind of media, going back to different artists, I think this picture of success that we have in the black community is, you know, I bought my mama a car, I bought her her first house. I did this for my family. I did that for my community. And I think all of that is great. And I think all of that is important, especially in conversations about talking about finance with your family. But talking about finance with your family and generational wealth is more than just you know, providing for that family, but then also understanding how your family and everybody within it understands money for themselves because generational wealth, it's tough for that wealth to last in a family without all of the family having knowledge. One of the families that I read about were the Rockefellers and the reason that they have their money still to this day after all of these, gra- all of graduation, after all these generations is because they have an annual, um, or actually I think it's quarterly. I think they have a quarterly meeting with their family about what their family does, about the family business, about having a financial plan within their family. Because I think without that, without passing the money and the knowledge, the money will run dry as, you know, as, as my dad said. So I think it's just important to have that conversation, even if you are in a position where you can, you know, loan that money just so that both parties understand, you know, what that plan is for the money, what a budget, you know, how you're budgeting the money, how you're using the money so that you're not only passing on the dollars itself, but then also that knowledge. And then that will help both parties eventually, hopefully um, get to a place where you can be, you know, have your own financial independence. Yeah. Do you give someone a fish or do you teach them how to fish? And so if you're going to give a loan, you really just like if you go to a bank, bank doesn't give you a loan just because you asked for it. Right. Right. They want to see some information. All right. Well, how much money do you make? You know, how much do you have in the bank? I mean, they want to know, are you credit worthy? So I think it's the same thing here is to if you just give someone money because they ask and you don't try to figure out or help them understand, they'll just come back and ask you again. They'll spend it. They won't pay the bills they were supposed to. And they come back and ask you again. And it's it's tough love. Uh, yeah. But that's what it is. It, you use the, the analogy of the oxygen mask. And on a plane, they tell you, take care of yourself first, because if you don't, 
you can't help anybody else. Mm -hmm. Those are tough conversations. As an advisor, I see the flip side sometimes. This is a true story. A young lady of color um, lost her dad, basically Taylor's age, and he's roughly was my age. And he left her in such a position that I told her, I said, look, if you just leave this money alone, you you will be worth two, three million dollars down the road. It, it's it's right here because you've got time. The money was gone within a year. I mean, there, there was a new BMW. There was all these things. And so that's why you see some the Rockefellers. And, and, and now it doesn't take you don't have to be a Rockefeller. That's why people use trust and you do estate planning, which is another thing that needs to be talked about within families so that, you know, families don't fight and all those kind of things. Have your estate in order. And I'm working with a, a, a lady of color now that you know, I asked her, I said, well, she wanted to leave everything to her daughter and her granddaughter. And I said, well, well uh, are they are you comfortable with leaving them, you know, six figures each? You know, I think, what, 18 and 40 or 36 or something. And she said, well. No, they're not good with money. So I'm looking into seeing if we can uh, work with their attorney to get trust set up. Because then it's sort of trust can protect us from ourselves. Right. So that you don't just get to go spend all the money uh, at one time. Yeah. Right. Right. It's so important. Um, And so since when you've been in this game for a while, how have you seen, I know at the baseline, it seems like this is always going to be the same fundamental uh, needs um, to be taught and to talk about in the community. Mm -hmm. But have you seen um, a change in the conversations like since you started in the industry? And then do you feel like we are progressing as a people like towards uh, more education and wealth? Yeah. Tough question. And it's because of who who I sit down with, right? Anyone that comes to me by default are acknowledging I need some help and I want to do something. So I don't see all the folks who don't come to me. I'll use an analogy, but I better change it in case. <laughs> Guy that works on my car. <laughs> and so, you know, I always got to get my car fixed. And this is a, a true story, but I've changed who it is that... For years, every time I'd come in there, he'd say, man, I need to sit down and, and talk to you. And this is when his kids were young. And then the next time he'd say, yeah, as soon as I take care of a couple of things, you know, and, and how much did it cost me to get started? Uh, $50, $100. You can get started with a small amount. Mm -hmm. All right, all right. Well, you know, as soon as I get two, $300, well, I can do that every month. And I just told him 50 or 100 If you can't do 50 or 100 how are you going to get the two or three hundred? Been going to him for over 20 years. He never came. After a while, he stopped saying it, right? Because it just it becomes pretty obvious. Uh, so the key there is that I don't I don't see all those folks. I think the real answer is it hasn't changed. And that's unfortunate. When you look at the statistics that we were looking at when we started Kobe. For. Uh, our net worth to white net worth, all those kinds. Of, I mean, that's really the bottom line net worth. It hasn't changed. 
Some folks, I mean, and arguably it's gotten a little tight. I mean, it's gotten a little worse. So we got a lot of work to do. And, and so I'm excited because I see Taylor and what she's wanting to do. I see you and what you're doing. Um, and that's what's going to, how do you eat away? One, One minute bite at a time. time. That's yeah. It. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah. And I think um, just with the change in how folks are talking about this more freely and how their pages, like our social media, your social media, there are a lot of um, Black women, women of color that, that I discovered through starting Generational Wealth and being on Instagram. And I said, oh, there's, you know, folks like us all over the country that are our age, that are, you know, doing what we can with our communities and our outreach to just kind of spread the word. And um, I've had friends as a result come to me and say, you know, just ask me about budgeting, ask me about how much they should be contributing to, you know, their retirement savings, asking about 529 college plans for their kids. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, through work, like what you're doing, through work, what, like what we're doing, um, we will start to make a change and start to talk about it more and build. And, and you're right. I mean, there's a huge change from that perspective, right? Just the number of folks that because of the Internet, you can do it and everybody sort of knows you're doing it. So I think that's that's huge. My wife used to get mad at me talking about Kobe because everything was where you'll be 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. But that's that's what it's going to take to close that gap. And at the core of that, we have to become more savers and investors than consumers. Yeah. And so a lot of the things, you know, capitalism, what I tell folks, is, isn't it interesting that we go to school for 18 years at the very least? Well, not 12, uh, but we're 18 years old and then no one really teaches us about saving, investing. What, what we're taught is how to earn a living, but not what to do with that money once we get it. But that's capitalism. Capitalism doesn't want, doesn't really want you to keep a lot of your money because if everybody kept all their money, companies wouldn't make it. So that's part of this whole message that we've got to get through. And that's what I like <laughs> about what you're talking about with uh, was LVJM. LVJMH. <laughs> So and this is why I'm so I don't know if you've um, Dwayne and Taylor you pr have probably heard of it because you you know my stuff. But Dwayne, I don't know if you've heard of the FIRE movement, the financial independent retire early movement. Have you heard of that? Oh, of course. OK, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you start it? I did not start it. I wish I did, but I did not start it. OK, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I know of it. And so I'm like, man, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't start it. But what I'm doing is so part of me is that, that is a very ambitious goal to retire earlier or at least uh, opt out of the workforce early, right? Like some people are not even on track at the standard age, right? And this movement or this push is to say, well, it's possible that you can actually opt out earlier, but you know, it's going to take a lot more of aggressive saving and investing to do that. 
And for me, when I heard about that, I was like, wait, what is this thing? How are people like leaving their corporate jobs, you know, early and traveling and choosing what they do for work? I want to get on that. And then I realized there were not a lot of people who looked like me who had like bigger platforms talking about it, which is why I started Journey to Launch. And so my my goal is that for me, what this is, is like, you know, even if it's just planting the seed, right, of this idea that there is something called financial independence and retiring early. There's something called it. It might not be for you, but it's there's something that it's called that and you can learn more about it and go down a rabbit hole and do your research. And I feel like that kind of access um, or that kind of access to information is so like uh, important. And then it takes like us, like this representation matters, talking about it, who talk, you know, you're, you're, I'm someone who looks like them and who talks like them. And who has the similar background that makes people feel like, wait, if she can do this, maybe this is something I can do, too, instead of it feeling like it's something that's not for them. I think you've hit it. And, uh, you know, what it does is it lets you do a couple things. It lets you say, hey, I want to go go do this. Or if you'll notice, and I'm not talking about athletes now, I'm talking about where the real money is. Folks are 75, 80 years old and still working. They've been financially independent for I don't know how long. Right. Warren Buffett. I mean, you you just look at the number of folks. Uh, but then it becomes you're working for the joy of whatever it is. Right. Right. Uh, people ask me, when are you going to retire? I mean, this isn't uh, you know, I'm not out digging ditches. I mean, it's, it's not physically. I mean, well, I just mean it's not. It, it doesn't take a physical toll. On right. Me, you have the right? independence. Yeah. And so I love what I do. I mean, I can't I help people every day. Yeah. And so as long as I've got mental and physical health. I keep doing it. I mean, it's, it's enjoyable. So, right. Yeah. And that's the so, dream yeah. I have for every, that's the dream I have for like everyone. It's not necessarily yes. never working again. It's choosing what you want to do for work without worrying want. about the burden of money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's the key. Don't worship money. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Right. Right. So I just want to thank you, uh, Dwayne and Taylor, for coming on the show. Please let everyone know where they can find you. Yes. Please follow us on Instagram at Davis Generational Wealth. We also have a Facebook page. Our website is also Davis Generational Wealth, where I have different articles about what we post about on Instagram, but more in depth about savings, budgeting, retirement, investments, financial education in general. Um, and then our email address is davisgenerationalwealth at gmail.com for any questions and outreach. We love getting the comments, the DMs, the emails about, you know, questions that folks have about talking to their families about their own, you know, financial, you know, their own financial journeys. So yes, we love all of the, all of the engagement. So thanks. All right. And I will link all that in the show notes. Thanks again, guys. Thank Thank you for all you're doing. You're the best. Okay, Journeyers, how was that? I really, really, really hope you enjoyed that episode. As I said, if you're on social media, so if you're on social media, Instagram, Twitter, on Facebook, I am Journey to Launch. So find me, follow me. That's how you can keep up with basically what's going on. And let me know what you thought of the episode or what stood out for you. Something that you're like, wow, that was something that really inspired me to do something else or do something more or learn something different. So I love when you share that with me so I can share it with others. And then, of course, when you share this with your family and friends, this is what allows 
you to open up the doors for other people in your life to get on the journey with you because you can't do it alone. It's better when you have other people, especially in your real life, that are cheering you on, that get what you're doing. So make sure you're sharing this with your family, your friends, your coworkers, whoever. Now, again, show notes are found at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 118. All right. Now, until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.